Good morning again. Before I forget, I do want to invite you, we'll have our second and last uh, Understanding Your Bible class after this service over in the church house. So I want to invite you to come and be with us. Today we're going to be dealing with those topics that the class said that they wanted to learn more about. So uh, they gave me a little task this week, um, and I think I fulfilled it. Well, time will tell. Today we're beginning a nine-part series on the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians has four chapters, 95 verses, and about half of those verses reference Jesus Christ in some way. Fifteen times you'll see the phrase, in Christ, or a similar phrase like that. So in the book of Colossians, we see how Jesus should affect our lives. Over and over again, you'll see that we should be rooted, established, mature, and complete in Christ. Now this morning we're going to begin with the first 14 verses of chapter 1 of Colossians. So hear now the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from our God and Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it has constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since it also since the day that you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, who our beloved bondservant and faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the obtaining of all steadfastness and patience, glorious giving thank, gloriously giving thanks to God the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, Colossians is one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul while he was actually in prison in Rome, known as the prison epistles. And Paul was in prison in Rome for his preaching of the gospel. Now, one of the unique facets about the letter is that even though the Apostle Paul might have traveled through the city during his third missionary journey on his way to Ephesus, he did not do any ministry, and he did not plant the church of Colossae. 
Paul's ministry during this, his third missionary journey was to strengthen the churches that he had already established and that he wanted to return to Ephesus because he only had a brief visit there at the end of his second missionary journey. Now we see that Colossae is part of this three leading cities within the valley there. And we see that these other cities are mentioned. We have Herapopolis, which is mentioned in chapter 4, and then Laodicea, who is mentioned four times in the book of Colossae, as well as in the book of Revelation. Now these sister cities, they share a lot in common, mostly because they were very, uh, very active in the wool industry. And by the time that Paul wrote this letter to Colossae, the city of Colossae had become the least influential of the three cities in that cluster. Now Patras is the one who planted the church of Colossae. You see that he's mentioned in our text. And we see that he was probably converted through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. As I mentioned, the three cities were very involved in the wool industry. And we see that Ephesus was a port city. So he might have been doing business there. And that's where and ran into Paul and came to become a Christian. Now, he, Paul writes that the Colossians had learned the word of truth, the gospel, and the grace of God in truth from Epaphras. So we thank God for his, the ministers of the gospel like Epaphras who has worked diligently to bring the word of God into our lives. Amen? So who is it? Who was it that really the Lord used to bring the gospel to you? Last week I received a text from a person that I hadn't corresponded with for over 20 years. And I actually woke up to the text and he was thanking me for the way God used me in his life many years before. These are joyous opportunities to be able to rejoice in what God has done for us. Maybe what you should do is to think about those who has been very influential in your life. And maybe, maybe this afternoon... Or tomorrow, you reach out to them some way and thank them for bringing the gospel to you. Well, we see that Paul heaps praise upon Epaphras, saying that he is a beloved fellow bondservant, a faithful servant of Christ. And Epaphras must have been humbly encouraged to have such a good friend and follow fellow servant in Christ to say these wonderful words about him. Maybe you should say such words to someone who has influenced you in Christ. Well, Epaphras, well, he was a native Colossian. He was a hard worker for the gospel, not only in that city, but within the cluster of the three cities. We see that Epaphras visited Paul while he was in prison in Rome, bringing him the news of the Colossians' progress in faith. And Paul writes in verse 4 that Epaphras had told him about the Colossians' faith in Christ Jesus and their love that they had for all the saints. And he informed Paul that they had a love in the Spirit. Now remember, it was four years prior 
that the Apostle Paul had warned the elders in the nearby congregation in Ephesus that savage wolves were going to come among them, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, Paul tells the Ephesians, men will arise and speak perverse things and draw disciples after them. And judging from the book of Colossians, Paul's prophecy was fulfilled. Fulfilled first in the city and the church of Colossians. We see these wolves, savage wolves, attack the church. It seems that Epaphras not only brought Paul news about the Colossians' progress in faith, but he also brought him news of these false teachers that were speaking perverse things and drawing disciples after them. Now we're going to talk about this Colossians heresy in weeks to come. But for now, let's just say that these false teachers were seeking to draw the Colossian Christians' focus off of Christ. So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will write his epistle calling for those in Christ at Colossae to keep their focus on Christ. Now Paul will address this heresy full on, head on, later on in the book. As a matter of fact, next week we'll see the first aspects of it. But for right now, in these first 14 verses, Paul wants to remind the Colossians of the work of God has done in them. He wants to thank God for what God has done for the Colossians, and he wants to pray for what God will do for them in the future. So many times when we face problems, we get lost in the fog. During times of confusion, we often will get our eyes off of Christ. Our conflicts often distract us from giving thanks to God for what he has done. So often these controversies cause us to lose our focus on what God can truly do. The conflict, the controversy becomes bigger than Christ. And what Paul's going to do now is he's going to take these first 14 verses and seek the Lord to get the Colossae church focused on Christ. Focused on who they are in Christ, focused on what God has done for their lives, and focused on what God will do for them in the future. First of all, Paul wants to focus on who they are in Christ. In his greeting, he reminds the Colossians that they are saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Now, the first two verses are, is a very common greeting by the Apostle Paul. If you read his other epistles, the, the salutation that he gives is very similar to his other writings. And so it's easy just to go ahead and overlook these first two verses. But I think we need to focus in on the fact that Paul wanted to emphasize right out of the gate that they were in Christ. They were in Christ at Colossae. The apostle loved to call 
Christian saints. And of course that is literally holy ones. And here he calls them saints in Christ. Now in ourselves, of course, we are not holy. Anybody here want to, in and of yourself, you want to claim yourself holy? Anyone? Okay, no hands. That's good. All right. But by God's grace, we have been set apart from the world and we've been placed in Christ. So what that means is that all the accomplishments of Christ are ours because we are in Christ. The Bible tells us that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places are ours in Christ. Can you imagine that? Every spiritual blessing is yours in, because you are in Christ. We receive grace in Christ. Our redemption is in Christ. We are justified in Christ. We have the forgiveness of sins in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. God supplies all of our needs in Christ. And we will present, be presented to God perfect because we are in Christ. And we cannot be separated from the love of God. Why? Because we are in Christ. Paul will write later, God has willed to make known to us the riches of his glory, which is, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we see here at the very beginning, Paul wants to, them to know that the richest thing, the, the greatest thing that has happened in their life is God by his grace has placed them in Christ. And we can't lose focus of that. That's the greatest work that God has done in each one of our lives, is that he's placed us in Christ. We can't lose focus of that. If we do, then we start to diminish our faith. We see that he wants to focus on what God has done in their lives. After reminding the Colossians that they are in Christ, now the apostle focused on what God has done in their lives. You see, being placed in Christ, well, that's a definite work of God's grace. And after that, the Christian life is a journey. It's a journey of sanctification in which, by God's grace, he conforms us more and more into the image of God. So we see this definite work of God by placing us in Christ, but then we see this progressive work of God in the life of a believer in this journey of sanctification. And Paul wants to remind the Christians at Colossae how far they've already traveled by the power of the Spirit. And now, in these next few verses, he's going to give two examples of this progressive work of the Holy Spirit by showing what God has already done in the Colossians' lives. The first example, Paul mentions three things that God had done in the lives of the Colossians. Notice he writes, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, we put together this diagram that shows this progressive work. First of all, this faith in Christ. 
Now, this faith in Christ is not just referring to the saving faith or this definite work of, of, of God working faith in you at the, when you are placed in Christ, but it's also talking about sanctifying faith that enables the believer to grow in their abiding trust in Jesus Christ. As a new believer, we might have faith like a child, but as we walk in Christ, our faith becomes more and more mature, and we grow in our confidence in Christ. Our faith in Christ, well, what does it do? It drives us to have love for all the saints. Our faith in Christ has brought us together as a family where we grow in love for all of God's people without prejudice or distinction. Paul will write in chapter 3 these words. There is no distinction between Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a, a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So we see that our faith in Christ, growing more and more and more in confidence that of Christ's abiding love in, in us, well, it, it, it drives us to have love for all the saints without prejudice or distinction. And our faith in Christ and our love for all the saints drives us to have our hope, a deeper hope of heaven. Now, how many of you have ever heard the phrase that a person is so heavenly minded there is no earthly purpose? You ever heard that phrase? Anybody heard that? Oh, you never heard that? A person is so heavenly minded they have no earthly purpose. And the idea that the person is just thinking about heaven, they're just thinking about heaven, they're just thinking about heaven, and they're not applying or really thinking about the situation right in front of them. Well, here what Paul is saying is he just wants to throw that idea right out of the window of this you're so heavenly minded that you have no earthly purpose. Here what he's saying is that, that there should be a progression in our Christian life where we have this abiding faith in Christ that leads us to love for all the saints, which leads us to have this hope of heaven, this deep assurance the promises of God are not only for this life, but the promises of God are for the life to come. As a Christian matures, they begin to put less confidence in the treasures of this life and they seek to lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves can break in and steal. As we grow in our faith, we look more and more and more for the promises of God to be fulfilled to us in heaven. The Christian grows in confidence that Christ has promised us an inheritance. And this inheritance, well, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It's reserved for you in heaven. So as a Christian goes through this progressive growth in Christ, we see that 
a Christian should grow in their faith in Christ. They should grow in their love for all the saints and grow in their hope of heaven. And as they walk more and more and more by the Spirit. Now the second example that Paul gives is very similar to the first one, even though he focuses on on three other aspects of what God had done within the Colossians. He writes, "...which of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, constantly bearing fruit and increasing, he also informed us of your love in the Spirit." So here again, we put together this diagram to be able to show you the progression. It's very similar in in the different topics. Here we see, instead of faith in Christ, it's the hearing of the gospel, which is very, has a lot of parallel. And then increasing and bearing fruit, well, that's kind of bearing, that's parallel with love for all the saints. It's it's an outward fruit bearing within the Christian's life. And then the hope of heaven, well, this is the love of the Spirit. So you see that both of these diagrams are similar. But let's look at this second one a little bit closer. Paul reminds them that the Spirit had opened their deaf ears to hear the gospel. And not just once, but the Spirit continually opens their ears. How many times did Jesus say in the Gospels, he that has ears, let him hear. And the Spirit constantly and increasingly bears fruit in the life of the believer. Now, I know there's this tendency within the Christian life that, the, the, you know, the longer that you're, you're a Christian, well, the less and less and less you do. Oh, I've done that before. I've, I've done that before. I've done that before. I've, I've paid my time. I've paid my dues. But here, the apostle is coming against that directly. He says, no, hearing the gospel should propel you to increase in fruit bearing. And then it should propel you in, in love of the Spirit. And the idea that you really are falling more and more and more of the, of the Spirit working in your life and guiding your life. You're more and more dependent of the Spirit in your life and guiding your life. And Paul says that they have grown in these aspects since the day they heard and understood the grace of truth. So this progressive work of the Holy Spirit, well, this is the normal way that the Spirit works in the life of the believer. It's not abnormal. It's not special. It's the normal way. These two diagrams basically show us the, what the Holy Spirit has done in our life. And we should take time to reflect and thank God for what he has done in our lives. Take time. Have a a quiet time with the Lord. And just look, do a little summary of your life and how the Lord has really, what the Lord has really done in your life and the progression that you have grown in your Christian life. Now Paul writes in verse 9, for this reason. So since God has done such an amazing work in the lives of the Christians at Colossae, Paul now wants to focus in on what God will do for that church in the future. And he begins to pray 
with this holy expectation of what God is going to do. He wants to focus in on what God will do. He's already focused in on what ha God has done. Now he wants to focus in on what God will do. Paul will offer four clear prayer requests on the behalf of the Colossians. He will pray that God will fill them with the knowledge of his will. Secondly, he will pray that God will enable them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Thirdly, he will pray that they will bear fruit in every good work. And lastly, he will pray that God will strengthen them with all power according to his glorious might. And it seems that Paul has this great expectation of what God, the great things that God's going to do in the church of Colossae. Now, a lot of times when we have prayer time, even as a congregation, our prayers will focus in on maybe someone that needs a healing or a situation that people are going through and stuff like that, which are great. But I think that the Holy Spirit has given us these prayers by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament to teach us how to pray and what to be praying for, for the church. Paul is going to pray that God will give them a clear knowledge of his will, that he will enable them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they will bear fruit in every good work, and that he will strengthen them with all power according to his glorious might. And these are the prayer requests that we should pray, be praying for this church and for every church. Well, let's quickly just look through these powerful petitions. First, Paul prays that, he, that, that God will fill them with the knowledge of his will. He writes, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that God will, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Paul is, 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 is not praying that they would fill, be filled with some sort of worldly philosophy or empty deception. Those are, those are the things that these false teachers are going to tell them that are important. These false teachers are going to tell them that worldly philosophy, well, that's how you really, really glorify God. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. The way you glorify God is you pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We see that he wants them to be filled with God's wonderful, redemptive revelation of Jesus Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are confined. If you seek Christ and the glory of Christ, you will be led to God's will. Paul is praying that God would give them the ability to discern between the wisdom of this world and God's wisdom found in Christ. And we have hundreds of influences in our lives according to the wisdom of this world. Hundreds of voices speaking to our lives, telling us what the world's wisdom would do about this situation or this circumstance. Paul's saying, block those out. Block those out and really seek God's will. What is God's will? How do we know what God's will is? Well, the, James tells us in his epistle, the wisdom that is from above 
James writes, is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, full of good fruits, it's unwavering, and without hypocrisy. So you're, you're really praying for God's will in your life about a certain situation. Well, is it pure? Is it peaceful? Is it gentle? Is it reasonable? Full of mercy? Full of good fruits? Unwavering? And without hypocrisy? If it passes that test, then it's God's will. This leads Paul to his second request, that God would enable them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul writes, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Notice the so that. The so that is the great purpose clause of the New Testament. What Paul is saying here is that the, foolish, the fullness of the knowledge of God's will should lead the believer to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and should cause the believer to desire to please the Lord in every aspect of his life. Not just 80%, 95%, but 100%. Every aspect of your life. As the apostle would write to the Corinthians, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So can you say, that's truth in your life, that whatever you're doing is really, really seeking for the glory of God. This God-glorifying lifestyle should lead to what Paul says here, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, this is the spiritual sequence of Paul's prayers. First of all, he's praying for spiritual wisdom to know God's will which leads to pray that I would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which leads me to bear good fruit. Then Paul, his last petition is that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now notice the purpose for obtaining this spiritual power is not to be God's wrecking ball, but rather... The reason we're praying for this power, Paul says, is so that we might obtain all steadfastness, patience, glorious giving of thanks to the Father. Here we see that he, he, Paul writes, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might. So you think he wants you to be really a wrecking ball, but then he says, no. So obtaining of all steadfastness, patience, Glorious giving of thanks to the Father. I don't know what your political view is, and I'm not trying to influence your political view, but I was happy to hear this last week the president say that he thinks that showing restraint is showing power. Showing restraint is showing power. And I think that's what Paul's saying here. Be steadfast, but be patient. Put yourself in a position where you could always gloriously give thanks 
to the Father. Paul is praying that they would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith as they encounter these difficulties and controversies that are facing their church. Remember now, as Paul's writing these words, this church of Colossae is facing tremendous controversy. You wouldn't know it by the first 14 verses. This church is facing tremendous controversy. But here Paul is really praying for them. Praying for God's will to be done in them. And we should be praying these types of prayers for this church. For a Christ's covenant church. Brothers and sisters, we should ask God to fill us with the knowledge of his will. That God would enable us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That we could bear fruit in every good work. And that God would strengthen us with all power according to his glorious might. That we might be able to encounter these difficulties and controversies to the glory of God. We should share Paul's expectation that God was going to do great things in the church of Colossae. As I finish this morning, Paul had great optimism for this church. Why? Because he knew they were in Christ. He knew that God had qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints. He knew that God had rescued them from the dominion of darkness and had transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And the same is for us. As I close this morning, I must ask, are you in Christ today? Has God placed you in Christ so that all the benefits of Christ are yours. Is God drawing you to Christ today? Is God drawing you to receive the forgiveness of sins that is offered through his son, Jesus Christ? If God's drawing you, just simply surrender and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. I want to challenge you to take time to reflect upon what God has done in your life. Not only those who have brought the gospel to you, but reflect upon your life. Maybe the last year, the last five years, ten years, how the Lord has really caused growth in you and allowed you to experience growth. I want to ask you this morning to follow the apostles' pattern here. And pray for Christ's covenant church. Pray that God would fill us with the knowledge of his will. Enable us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That we would bear fruit in every good work. And that he would strengthen us with power. So that we would be steadfast, patience. And that he would strengthen us as we encounter controversies and difficulties even within our own church. I want to ask you to seek the Holy Spirit 
to give you a sense of a divine expectation of what God is going to do in and through this church as he did for those who are in Christ at Colossae. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these first 14 verses. And Lord, we thank you that you have placed us in Christ. Lord, I sense you drawing me into yourself. And Lord, I, I sense, Lord, a spiritual work of conversion, of salvation. Lord, I claim that there is forgiveness of sins in Christ. We have redemption in his name. Lord Jesus, I believe upon you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, here at Christ Covenant Church, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the way, the things that you have done in our lives and that we would give you praise and thanksgiving for that. But Lord, we also ask you to work in us and give us a heartfelt prayer for our church as we continue to seek you to do great things amongst us. Lord, thank you for what you've done. And we, with spiritual expectation, seek you to continue to do great things amongst us. Thank you for these words in Jesus' name. Amen.